reading is from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3. It's on page 1002 if you're using that blue Bible. Hebrews chapter 3, verse, starting at verse 7. Remember the whole point of Hebrews is that it's written to Christians who are Jewish, but now they've gone from what was good, Judaism, to what is better, the fulfillment of Judaism, Jesus Christ, but the temptation and the social pressures is to take them back to Judaism. Now that would be bad. And so the writer of Hebrews is going here to say, if you go back to Judaism, it's just like when you were in the wilderness at Meribah and Massa and you rebelled against God. And so he's going to start out with Psalm 95, the last half of Psalm 95, and then he's going to go from there. So starting at verse 7 of chapter 3 through verse 14. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And now we turn to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 15, as we continue our series through 1 and 2 Chronicles, Reclaim, Revive, Reform, Return. We spent time with King Asa last week, chapter 14, his story in 2 Chronicles continues today in 15, and it will go on in 16, which we'll look at next week. Here comes Asa and the the army of God's people coming back from the great victory that God brought in chapter 14 out of an impossible circumstance. The Ethiopians were a million fighters and uh, Judah Judah had half of that, 500,000, something like that. But there's been victory. The Lord brought victory. And now they're coming home. It starts at verse 1 of chapter 15. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord, all capitals, L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is a translator's code for you to remember that in the Hebrew it is God's personal name that he wants his people to know him by, Yahweh. Yahweh is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. But when in their distress, they turned to the Lord, to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land, and they were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation, and city by city. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you, take courage, do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard these words, 
the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Obed, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of Yahweh, of the Lord of Yahweh, that was in front of the vegetable of the house of the Lord of Yahweh. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon who were residing with them. For great numbers had deserted to him from Israel, from the northern region. When they saw that, that Yahweh, that the Lord his God was with him, and they were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa, and they sacrificed to, to Yahweh on that day from the spoil that they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, to seek Yahweh, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But that whoever would not seek the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to to, to the Lord, to Yahweh, with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath that they had sworn with all their heart and had sought Him with their whole desire. They had sought Him with their whole desire. And He was found by them. And the Lord, Yahweh, gave them rest all around. Even Maacah, his mother, King Asa, removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it in the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. And he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his fathers and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. And there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. What I've read to you from Hebrews 3 and what I've read to you from 2 Chronicles 15, it is the corrective, inspiring, encouraging, hope-giving word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us to not only appreciate the Scriptures as at a distance, but this very day to be touched by Your story for our good and Your honor through Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. For those of you who are visiting, and I see a lot of visitors here, for those of you who are visiting, on the back of the worship guide are the sermon notes. There's a sermon outline, lots of space to write notes, or doodle, or whatever you do during sermons. There's a quotation or two in there that we're going to make reference to through the sermon. And then there's some questions at the end. So my friends, I'm just drawing from that statement down in verse 15 here at the beginning, and had sought him with their whole desire. What is the desire of your heart? What exactly do you seek and search for with all your life energies? So to answer those questions shows where your love and where your loyalties lie. There was a a fellow named Henry Skugall, who nobody knows anymore. But he wrote a book in the 17th century called The Life of God and the Soul of Man. Henry Skugall's little book was so important that the Methodist Calvinist founder of Methodism, one of the founders, George Whitfield, anybody remember, everybody know who George Whitfield was? 
says that was when he was converted when he was reading Henry Scugall's book, The Life of God and the Soul of Man. It's a good book. In that little book, he says this, and this is the first quotation in your sermon notes. Quote, the worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. Of its love. The worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. That, my friends, is exactly what the Spirit-guided and inspired historian of 1 and 2 Chronicles is trying to press home on God's people. God's people to whom he was originally writing to in the middle of the 300 B.C.s, to God's people throughout the ages, to God's people sitting here on 24 September 2023. Trying to press home on God's people throughout the ages as they relate these historical events. The desire was for God's church to be reformed, revived, reclaimed by realigning her loyalties, by readjusting the object of her loves. As I pointed out last week, and you need to make sure you're on board with this and you know what's going on here, that the writer is preaching a gospel sermon all the way through the rest of 2 Chronicles, and it's the good news of 2 Chronicles 7.14 that unfortunately in our country has been misused too many times to refer to our country and actually has to do with Jesus' church, with God's church. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways that I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. That's God's prescription for His church growing in health and recovery. And so there it is, 2 Chronicles 7.14. Is, this is an extended sermon from that point on of what that looks like and sometimes when it doesn't happen. There's going to be some bad news stories throughout 2 Chronicles to show you that. So this is God's prescription for our health and our recovery. And the the writer wants it to get down into our bones and deep down into our hearts. And so in 2 Chronicles 15, which is where we're going to be today, 2 Chronicles 15. So I hope you have your Bibles open so you can follow along with me. First up comes the word, comes the word. It's verses 1 through 7. So here they are. They're just now returning from the Lord breaking the Ethiopians and winning, right? They, they humbled themselves, chapter 14, verse 11. They humbled themselves before the Lord. They said, we can't do this. It's an impossible circumstance. Only you can do this. And they cried out for help. And so it says that the Lord defeated the Ethiopians, the superpower, and that they were broken before the Lord. So here comes now God's people riding back after having sacked those who had been aligned with the Ethiopians. And they come back winning. They're coming on the crest of victory. Woo! And the Lord sends his word by his spokesman, Azariah. And the, the word comes and alerts and it invites. And this, listen to what he says. Hear me, Asa and Judah and Benjamin. Yahweh is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. He will leave you to the consequences of your decisions. If you forsake the one who is the life-giving, liberty-giving God, Yahweh, if you forsake him, then that means what you want in the end is you want the life-snuffing, 
liberty-stealing gods around you. And he'll leave you to that. That's the statement. It's an alert, but it's an invitation. And that alert invitation of verse 2 has been running all the way through already since 1 Chronicles. Remember when David, before he died, he's blessing his son Solomon. And he says, and you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father. Serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord, for Yahweh, searches all hearts. He understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. All the way from 1 Chronicles, we've been hearing this. And it comes up all the way through 2 Chronicles. And it shows up when you get over to James. Right? What does James say? Submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will what? Draw near to you. Seek the Lord and he'll be found by you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. There's a negative implied there. Well, if you don't draw near to God, what does that mean? He won't draw near to you. That's what the writer of Hebrews was getting at. And that passage we read in Hebrews chapter 3 as he is talking there to God's people. says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called the day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now you may ask, why in the world, after God had blessed Asa and all of his people and had brought victory, why in the world would God send that message? You would think, wow, that's kind of a downer. It should be a pump-up message, a really positive mental attitude message. It was somebody in our care group last week that said something about, you know how easy it is? When things are going well, to never think about God, and you slip, and you slip. He's telling them this so they don't slip, right? It's an alert, but it's also an invitation. You're on the right path, Asa. Stick with it. That's kind of the point. And so then the voice of God through his prophet reminds them of where they came from with some historical reminders. That's chapter 15, verses 3 through 6. And the historical reminders go all the way back through his father and his grandfather, all the way back to the days of the judges. You remember those days? There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So that's his point as he's talking about verse 3 and 4, for example, through 6. The historical reminder lies in the concept of verse 6, there's, or there's an important concept that lies inside of verse 6 as he's doing this historical reminder. This was the situation, and then we find out in verse 6, a nation was crushing nation, and city was crushing city. And then it tells us why. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. And we've already run across some of these principles that the reason why there's division in God's church is because it's God's judgment upon his people, right? Unity is God's grace. Division is God's judgment. Well, so when you move to the geopolitical realm, it's very similar. God troubled them with every sort of distress. Now, the Lord employs people whose hearts are driven by greed and corruption and power-mongering And all of those things. And yet, geopolitical turmoil is God's rigor upon humankind. And what is God's rigor meant to do? To bring God's restoration. I'm going to ask you a catechism question. What is God's rigor meant to do? 
to bring God's restoration. Let's try that again. We just got an F in class. What is God's rigor meant to do? To bring God's restoration. And so that's what you have being repeated here in this historical recitation. And so since God's rigor is meant to bring us into God's restoration, then this is why God speaks words of encouragement. You see it in verse 4. They were in this terrible distress where there was no king and everybody did what was right in their eyes and everything was mayhem and chaos and murder and bloodshed and all those things. Verse 4, but when in their distress they turned to the Lord, to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. Words of encouragement. This is the way. Walk in it. Here's where you'll find rest for your souls. And then in verse 7, he says to Asa, basically he says, and so Asa, you're on the right path. You're seeking the Lord. High five. Right? That's the point of verse 6. When he says, but you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for the, your work shall be rewarded. And so the word of encouragement that is sent through Azariah is, is not meant to leave Asa or us self-satisfied or self-righteously smug, but it's to bring us to recalibrate. And so then, starting at verse 9 through verse, or verse uh, starting at verse 8 to verse 19 is calibration by the word. Comes the word, now calibration by the word. What do I mean by calibration? Or even recalibration? Anybody have that annoying little symbol on your dashboard that tells you all the time that your tires are, fl- are flat or low? You know, that's actually part of your computer system that's tied to a little chip in all the little stems on your tires, the air stems. Right? Well, the problem with my truck is none of those want to stay calibrated. So I have this annoying little sign all the time. Every time they put a new air stem and air valve in, it goes out within a couple of days. But here's theoretically how it's supposed to work. You get a new air valve put in there, and then the attendant says, now you need to drive around a little bit so that the air stem chip and your motherboard can calibrate and start talking to each other, and now you have a good alert. And so that's the idea of calibration, is that here they are calibrated by the word. They're coming to be realigned. According to the word, to be realigned. And so Asa and the people of God are rejuvenated, if you will, in their reforming efforts and their calibration. And first off, notice it includes corporate reformation. That really is 8 through 15, is this whole uh, picture of corporate reformation. And this corporate reformation includes three things, and they all start with the letter A, because I'm writing this sermon, not you. (laughs) Altered, verse 8. Augmented, verse 9. Adjusted, verses 10 through 12. Notice altered in verse 8. Notice what happens here. As soon as the word comes, as soon as they hear it, Asa hears the word, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. For those of you who may not know, at this point the kingdom is split. God's kingdom is fractured. And there's a northern realm. That's the other faction at this point. And that northern realm has gone very progressive and liberal. They've created their own whole system of religion in the name of Yahweh, all on their own. Jeroboam did that. And the southern realm kind of hit and miss, is trying to stay faithful sometimes. And here, we're at one of those high points where they're being faithful. Sort of. 
Because what does Asa find again in all of his cities? You thought he took care of them in chapter 14, verses 1 through 8, where 10 years he got rid of all the Asherah symbols, Phallic symbols, all of the foreign altars, all of the idols. Here we are now, 15 years into his reign, and what does he run into in verse 8? There's idols again. Oh, not everybody was on board with Asa's reforming work originally. Now that's changing. But notice the altering. Now they're slowly becoming on board, all of them getting on board. And now out come the idols. And now they're saying, ah, we've got to get rid of these things. God, what doesn't, God is not into coexist. God is not into spiritual multiculturalism inside of his kingdom. There's one, him, right? And that's it. That's where we're supposed to be focused. And they see that and they go, oh, we need to get rid of all these competitors. They're being adjusted as as they're being calibrated by the word. They're being adjusted. But then notice that they're also being augmented, verse 9. Somehow Asa has gotten up into some of the territory of that progressive northern realm up here. And they like what he's got. He's got the Lord, his God. So even amongst progressive Christians, there are those who really want that God that we talk about. And here he is bumping into them, and they're excited, and they come flowing, some of them come flowing into the southern realm, because here's commitment. Here's those who are being reformed by the word, and these folks up here in this progressive realm are going, wow, that's what we should have been doing all along, and that's what we really wanted. And so here they come flowing, and so now the southern realm is being augmented, augmented. Loads of other people are starting to show up from the northern realm into the southern. And they're coming excited. They're coming not to tear down the southern realm, they're coming to get on board with the Lord. And then comes the fact that they're Adjusted. So they're altered, verse 8, they're augmented, now they're adjusted. I think I just got all my A's messed up, sorry. But they, they're adjusted, and that's verses 10 through 15. And notice how it happens. It turns into a worship service, a corporate worship service. And they gather around, and they're singing God's praises, and they're making commitments. They're making commitments. Verse 12, and they entered into a covenant to seek Yahweh. To seek Yahweh, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul, no fingers crossing aloud. Right? They make this commitment. And so, and then they make a commitment that anybody inside the kingdom, anybody inside the church that isn't on board will have to be removed from the presence. That's all that language in verse 14. And notice how thrilled they all are. Verse 15. All Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had, sworn, they had sworn with all their heart, and they sought him with their whole desire. They sought him with their whole desire. There was no foot dragging. There was no him hawing around. They sought him with their whole desire, and he was found by them. Hallelujah! And Yahweh gave them rest all around. Notice that they're adjusted. Altered, augmented, now adjusted. But then this reformation is not just corporate. It also moves into Asa's house. It's a household reformation. It's verse 16. Even Maacah, 
his mother, King Asa, removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. Asherah was the female version of the phallic symbol. It was Baal's girlfriend. Okay? And she had made an image, a detestable image for Asherah. And Asa cuts it down and crushes it and burns it in the brook Kidron. Maacah. Now, she's not literally his mother. She's actually his grandmother. This is typical Hebrew lineage where you skip them. She's a matriarch, right? She's the queen mother. She's a matriarch. By the way, if anybody wants to get mad at patriarchy, here's matriarchy gone bad. Either one of those can go crazy. She's a matriarch. She has power. She has influence. She has say-so. She's queen mother. Notice what Asa does. Grandma, I know that you are queen mother. And I know your heart is not all into Yahweh. In fact, you set up a phallic symbol. Grammy, you're losing power. I'm locking the door. You're no longer able to influence people in God's church. I'm shutting that door. I'm destroying your idol. I mean, he goes home with this. This is real stuff. It's household reformation that's clearly very personal, a personal aspect of Asa's reforming heart. It's that real to him. And then comes lifelong reformation. It's verses 17 through 19. It's basically 20 years. So all of this in first part of chapter 15 is in the 15th year of his reign, and it continues on. All that comes from it continues on until the 35th year of his reign. And so it's a lifelong reformation. That's 20 years. That's a long time of seeking the Lord and making that our momentum and always moving in that direction. And that's chapter 15. Ah, but it brings us then to this crucial word for us. The crucial word for us, it starts back in chapter 14 and then you see it there and it comes all the way into chapter 15. So just turn over to chapter 14 very quickly to verse 4. Asa commanded Judah to seek Yahweh, to seek the Lord. And you drop down to verse uh, verse 7. Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers and gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought Yahweh our God. We have sought Him and He has given us peace on every side. And it keeps on going until you get into chapter 15 when you get to verses 12 through, through 18, when he keeps, it keeps coming up. Verse 12, they entered into a covenant to seek Yahweh, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. Verse 15, they made a, an oath and they swore with all their heart and they had sought Him, sought Him, sought Him with their whole desire. He was found by them. Seeking the Lord, it's the third trait in God's prescription back in chapter 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. That's the key phrase of Asa's story, both in, in, in chapter 14 and 15, and also when we get to chapter 16, but we'll see a letdown there. I'll leave that for Pastor West to deal with. Thanks. What we see is this is a key phrase of Asa and his reforming heart and his reforming actions. He sought the Lord. 
It's said seven times, maybe eight times in chapters 14 and 15. And notice that seeking the Lord is personal. Asa's own reforming heart. He is seeking the Lord. And seeking the Lord is also corporate. The church together was seeking the Lord. And notice that seeking the Lord becomes very personal and it moves into his house. His household. He's seeking the Lord at home. And so my friends, as we draw from chapter 14 and 15, There are at least five aspects of this crucial word for us. Seek the Lord. There are five aspects of this crucial word that we need to get. Number one, to seek the Lord means clearly, and you know this, to turn toward the Lord. But it's referring to the change of our allegiances. You you should have seen that in chapter 15, verses 12 through 15. It's a change of allegiances. And to turn toward the Lord, seeking the Lord, means you're turning away from all that you sought before that was evil. That kept you from seeking the Lord. You turn to seek the Lord means you're turning away from that which is evil. It's a classic definition of repentance. What is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace. We're in a sinner out of a true sense of his own sin, an apprehension of the mercy on God, of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his own sins turn from them to God with full purpose of and endeavoring after new obedience. To turn toward Yahweh, this new allegiance, this new alliance, this realignment, recalibration, is to turn away from evil. It's exactly what we heard in Isaiah 55 that we read before the confession of sin. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him turn, return to the Lord. And he will, not might, not could possibly, no, he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. The first part of seeking the Lord is actually really intentionally turning toward the Lord. There's realignment of our allegiances, which means turning away from that evil that we, which we have done in the past. Those other affections that draw us off. Which then leads to the second aspect of seeking the Lord. As we noted last week, it includes then removing All idolizing, idolizing distractions, discarding all competitors to God, to this God. Now that means a lot of things. Idols are not necessarily statues you stick up. I love the way the Heidelberg Catechism puts it when it asks the question, what is idolatry? Idolatry is having anything on an equal par with Yahweh or above him. Anything that is in competition with him. Is your, are your politics in competition with the Lord? That's an idol. Is your money making and your business and your, your curriculum vitae, is that in competition with the Lord? Then it is an idol. Are you afraid of people and so most of your life you live in fear of people and so you compromise just because you're afraid of people? You've made that equal with God. That's an idol. You see what I'm saying? Idolatry is lots of things. And so part of seeking the Lord is actually removing these idols and these competitors. No, I'm all in. I'm all in with you. Because you're my only hope in life and death. My only hope. 
And that's really what you see in verse 16. Even when the idols are in your family. Even when the idolatry is in your family. He removed his grandma, Merca. Because she was bringing it in. The third part of seeking the Lord is genuine prayer. You can't miss that. If you go back to chapter 14, verse 11, that's what you have. You have this genuine prayer. Oh Lord, there's no God like you who can help. There's none. Baal's not it. Ra in Egypt is not that. Marduk is not it. There's no God like you who can help. Between the mighty and the weak, help us, O Yahweh, our God. We rely on you. And in your name we've come against this multitude. Oh, Yahweh, have mercy on us. Help us. Save us. Rescue us. Genuine prayer. And the Lord answers that prayer. I find it interesting that about 150 years after this episode, Jeremiah is a prophet and he is writing to God's people who have already been taken off into exile And so the Lord says through Jeremiah a promise of return, but here's how it goes. Then you will call, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. Notice seeking the Lord and praying to him go together. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So, third aspect of seeking the Lord is genuine prayer. A fourth aspect is diving into the Lord like you would into a good marriage. I sometimes wonder when I do weddings, I, I, check, I check the hands of those who are actually making the vows to make sure they don't have their fingers behind their backs with their fingers crossed like this. Because sometimes I wonder if not physically, if in their heart, their fingers are not crossed. Their hearts are not necessarily always all into it. You do your best you can to try to make it that way, to encourage that. But then six months, a year, three years later, it's a train wreck. And you wonder, what was going on there? But like a good marriage, you throw yourself into the marriage. We are in this together. We hang together or we hang together, baby. Ann and I were talking when we were 18, right before we got married. We got married at 18. We were driving down a road in Moore, Oklahoma. And I said, let's talk about how long we're going to be married. I don't believe in divorce. I wasn't a Christian, so I don't want no divorce. She goes, I agree. So there's no other way out of this marriage. Nope. Either I'm going to kill you or you commit adultery, but there's no other way out of this marriage. (laughs) Right? That's all in. And I'm going to tell you, 44 years into this marriage, it's not because I'm a great husband, just ask Anna. It is the grace of God, but it, and it's that His grace that makes it all in. Well, it's the same thing with seeking the Lord. It's diving into the Lord like you would dive into a good marriage with all wholehearted eagerness. They sought the Lord with their whole desire. In other words, my friends, the norm of love and loyalty runs through this whole story of Asa, at least the first chapter 14 and 15. It's all here. It keeps coming up. Chapter 14, verse 2. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of Yahweh as God. And then in chapter 15, 
Asa, seek him, he'll be found by you. Take courage, you're doing the right thing. Verse 7, great. Then verse 17, nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. It doesn't mean entire sanctification, y'all. Because chapter 16 is a coming. But overall, his heart was sold out to the Lord. And the, the preacher who's writing 2 Chronicles is preaching to you. This is how you seek the Lord. This is how you seek the Lord. And even our Lord Jesus, who is the God that Asa committed to in the flesh. Even our Lord Jesus told us, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. So diving into the Lord like you would in a good marriage. And the last aspect is this. And it's really nothing about you. Well, I guess it is, in a sense. When you're seeking the Lord, you're actually seeking the one who has first sought you. When you're seeking the Lord, you find that you're actually seeking the one who has first sought you. That's a major but subtle point all the way through this whole episode. It was told us clear back in chapter 7, verse 14. He stands ready to hear, forgive, and heal. Even our Lord Jesus reminds us of that in several of his parables. Like, anybody remember the story of the lost sheep? Who's getting saved? The lost sheep. Who's doing the saving? Who's doing the seeking? The shepherd? The woman with the lost coin, right? She's the one doing the seeking. Oh, that's right. The Lord actually... When you're seeking the Lord, He's the one who's already sought you. Okay, there should have been a whole Pentecostal outbreak right there. (laughs) It's exactly what Augustine says in his confessions as he's writing about his own story of running away from God and all that happened there. And as he's coming back, he says this. And it's in a prayer, and it's in his confessions, chapter or book 11, paragraph 2. That through Christ, you sought us when we were not seeking you. But you sought us that we might seek you. You sought us that we might seek you. My friends, it's all over the New Testament even. It comes out really easy in 1 John, so I'm just going to go to 1 John. And this is love, not that we love God, that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the one who actually dies on our behalf, to remove our penalties that we justly deserve, to be the propitiation for our sins. And a little later in 1 John 4, he says, we love because, why? You guys have passed catechism class for the day, this is great. We love because he first loved us. You seek the Lord who's already seeking you. I saw a little picture of this the other day. I didn't ask him if I could use this illustration, so if they get mad, it's my fault. But across the street from our house is this family that has gone wonkos on Halloween. 
It has consumed all their yard, all their house. It is crazy. And so the Canises came, they were having, we're having a care group. The Canises came, and sure enough, Remington looks and he goes, oh, I don't want to go to the scary house. So mom and dad park the car or the truck and they get out and he's always, you can hear, I can hear him inside there. I don't want to go to see the witch. I don't want to go to see the scary house. They're saying, you're not going over there. And so they walk around the, the truck and he's busy focusing on the scary house and he starts seeking mom and dad, right? And what do you know about mom and dad? They know him. They've already got him. You know what I'm saying? We're seeking the one just like that. We're seeking the one who's already sought us. When you seek the Lord, he's right there. He's already got you. So why aren't you running to him? (laughs) I don't know what else to say. It's beautiful. Now, my friends, this is where decent people can go astray. This is where decent people can go astray. And in the minds of decent people, they really don't do anything to get their gods angry at them because they're, well, they're really just decent, clean-cut, upstanding, no ring around the collar, no dirt behind the ears kind of people. Just ask them. And in their perception, God as they understand him, or now today, God as they understand it, would never be mad at them for any reason. There's no reason to be mad, right? But friends, it's a matter of love and loyalty. Where is your heart? A decent guy in the military, spiffy and properly uh, involved in his unit, getting top-notch performance reports, even completing his degree at a cool night school so he can better himself and all of that. But then he starts flaunting top-secret information that he gets because he's got access, and he starts showing it off to his online gaming group. Because why? Because his real desire is to be approved and accepted by his buddies in the gaming group. What would you call him? Traitor. Turncoat. Defector. He's a decent fellow. And so as a decent person, if I'm not singularly loyal to the holy God, what does that make me? Well, in the 21st century, it makes me tolerant. It makes me open-minded. It makes me charitable. It makes me sensible. Just ask everybody. But in reality, I'm breaking faith with the Lord. And that's where the writer of Hebrews was going in Hebrews 3. He was encouraging us to not be decent people, but to be God-seeking people. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Oh, dear friends, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord whole hog. Seek the Lord with your whole desire. What a phrase, with your whole desire. The worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that this is love, not that we loved you, that you loved us and sent your Son to be the propitiation for us. 
And that when we run to seek you, we find that you are the God who's already sought us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Lord, I pray for every one of us hearing this, whether here in person or who will hear it recorded or is online, that Lord, you would draw them in. That every one of us would seek you with our whole desire. And know that in Jesus Christ, your Son, the way is wide open. For God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you're the God who stands ready to hear, to forgive, and to heal. In Jesus' name, amen.